Hello, and welcome to Trek in Time, the podcast that takes a look at Star Trek in order and in history. What I mean by that is that we're going to take a look at each episode of Star Trek in chronological order. And then we're also going to take a look at how things were in the world when those episodes originally broadcast. We'll take a deeper dive into the episodes and the eras in which they appeared. You're probably wondering who's going to be doing all this talking. First, me. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and my books include some <laughs> sci-fi and some picture books. And with me is my brother, Matthew. He's a tech guru, and he's the brain behind Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Matt, do you want to say hi? Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about episode five of Enterprise. This episode aired on October 17th, 2001. It was viewed by 8.16 million people, and it was titled, unexpectedly, Unexpected. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. <laughs> what was the world like when this episode aired? Well, for the now fourth week in a row, Alicia Keys' is Fallen was still the number one song. It was an important song, which is obvious from how long it's been at number one just kept going it's interesting i still if you ask me to sing it i couldn't do it i have no idea what song it is no training day for the second week in a row was the number one film in the country this of course is the denzel washington ethan hawk pairing about cop corruption and drug intrigue in los angeles and as far as the competition airing at the time ER was the most watched program that week. The day the episode aired, the New York Times had the following headline. Anthrax mailed to Senate is found to be potent form. Case tied to illness at NBC. There are also images underneath that headline, which showed the envelopes that were sent to Tom Daschle and Tom Brokaw. I almost completely it's, forgot about the yeah, Anthrax it's, it's, stuff. Based on September 11th is in my head, but yeah, one of the sub headlines kinda. on that day's paper was about Powell suggests a role for the Taliban and it was the growing, uh, they were putting together the coalition that would eventually go in and, and attack Afghanistan and unseat the, the Taliban there. Um, but this is this is the first headline that we've had up to this point. The episodes that we've discussed up to this point, it's all been 9-11. And this is the first headline we've mm -hmm. seen where 9-11 got pushed from the main headline and it was the anthrax scare. And it was a very strange time where mail in major metropolitan areas in D.C. and in New York City disappeared for a period of time post offices were being scoured and tested for anthrax i live and work in new york city um we stopped getting mail for a period of time i work in midtown manhattan the place where i work even had anthrax concerns because the targeting seemed to be the sorts of um political leanings seemed to be targeting people that were in line with where I work. So there were concerns like, could we potentially be impacted? And, um, it, and it was a strange, it, it was the first time that we had that kind of pervasive attack 
without any clear motive. And I compare mm-hmm. it now to things like the the mass shootings, which seem all too frequent and unmotivated in so many cases. And this this was tied to that kind of thinking. It was just kind of a of a cloud that kind of rolled in and it didn't seem to be making demands. There didn't seem to be a point behind it other than simply to hurt people. And so it was a scary, yep. a scary time. So onto the episode, which as I mentioned before, is titled Unexpected. Matt, do you want to read the synopsis for us? Sure. A ship feeding off of Enterprise's warp field is exposed after the crew, crew ignites a plasma exhaust. Commander Tucker tr- takes a trip to the ship to help them repair their warp drive. After his return to Enterprise, he learns that he's, and I like this giant quote, pregnant. The nature of this event becomes a major plot device of the episode and took the series into the realm of hard science fiction. That's a weird That's synopsis, a Sean. Synopsis. We get we get our synopsis <laughs> and our plot synopsis yeah. from Wikipedia. So, um, it's yeah, That's it, a weird it seems a little, it seems a little uh, off in the use of quotes around pregnant. Yeah, um, yeah, because he, he technically he was pregnant, and I don't think this takes. I don't think this takes us into the realm of hard science fiction. I would say Star Trek is hard science fiction. So I'm not sure. <laughs> Making a man pregnant makes it hard sci-fi. <laughs> Maybe they meant difficult <laughs> to understand. I don't know. So into the plot points of the episode, as the synopsis mentioned, there is the there is the ship which is cloaked and trailing the Enterprise. But before we get to that part, it starts off with, in engineering, Commander Tucker is trying to solve ship-wide problems with power supply and life support. The scene here is played for comic effect. And I don't know about you. I'll take, I'll take a quick step back and say, overall, I felt like this episode was more tightly written than most of the other episodes up to this point. And I will say that it feels a little bit like when I, when I envisioned series, I, I tend to to think in in rules of of four, three and a half to four. It takes three and a half to four seasons for a series to suddenly like come together where everything seems to be clicking. Uh, and it can take three and a half to four episodes for a longer plot cycle to start to get its feet underneath it. And I think that here we are mm-hmm. now with episode five. It's episode five because the first two episodes were a two-parter. That's why we're in episode four of our podcast, but we're talking about episode five of the series. I feel like at this point, we've just crossed the, the part where the writers understand who these characters are and a lot of the dynamics between their relationships. And we're starting to see that click in a way where... They now have enough shorthands to be able to get five, six minutes into an episode faster than they did two or three weeks ago, where it felt a little bit like still stumbling around in the dark a little bit, trying to figure out what these characters' shapes are. So, yeah, this this felt like an episode that could have taken place in episode four. I mean, it's season four. Yes. It's like it felt like we're all comfortable with the characters. Here's just a little isolated episode. Yeah. 
and it's fun. and it's an opportunity it's for a little a bit of a deeper thing. dive exploration of one particular character. We talked last week about the yep. nice dynamics between Trip and to Paul in the episode in which they are under the effects of an hallucinogenic spore uh, or pollen, and they are they are trapped in a cave during a storm, and the tension comes from the fact that Trip has become paranoid to the point of dangerous, and the the moment between the two of them in that episode, the tension really could have been replicated with any two characters. You could take anybody and put them in that situation. Mm -hmm. You could have had this exact same threat. Somebody's paranoid. He's got a weapon. The other person is unarmed. There's your danger. This episode only takes the shape it does because trip is trip. And so it's, it feels much more like Mm -hmm. a character study episode than a free, than a, uh, a plot driven episode. And I feel like at this point in the writing, the, the writers very clearly were comfortable with this kind of, of storytelling. This is something that had gone back to the very beginning of next generation where they would have these episodes, which would do deep dives into a particular character and really explore them. So at this point, the writers are very comfortable with this kind of approach and, I think it really shows mm-hmm. because from the very beginning, the episode looks like that. However, I still have difficulties with tone around some of the episodes here yeah. in Enterprise. Um, they're flying at warp and they are having problems, shipwide problems with power supply and life support. Right off the bat, the, sh- the show starts with Captain Archer. It's not as bad as the gel scene from the pilot. When to Paul and Trip <laughs> had to have a very serious conversation about about what was going on in their initial meeting, while also swabbing each other down with antibiotic gel. Um, but this episode starts with Archer in the shower, and interesting that first of all, it's a water shower, so. At some point in Star Trek's future, they refer to sonic showers. Sound is being used to clean their bodies. But here is a literal water shower. And the gravity plates stop working. And so in a neat bit of visual effects, Archer not only floats, but the water begins to ricochet off the walls of the shower and turn into giant floating globules of water in ways that is very reminiscent of the tricks we've seen from the international space station where the astronauts there will create videos to amuse people showing them creating giant water bubbles and things like that. He immediately contacts the uh, engineering to find out what's going on. And he is told, Oh, we anticipate the gravity will come back on any moment now. And then thud, it comes back on. He falls to the ground. The water crashes around him, you know, one, 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 slow trombone. There was nothing about that. And there's nothing about the following scene in engineering where Tucker is saying, I think I've almost got this figured out. I think I've almost got this figured out. There's nothing about any of that that makes sense from a safety perspective. I had a lot of issues Mm -hmm. with the fact that the response to the gravity plates going off on an entire deck was everybody looking to solve it is basically, 
yeah, we think it's going to come back any moment now. You would have to prepare everybody on that deck. You would have to, first of all, clear the deck, get people to go to yeah. whatever hatches and tubes inside the ship they would need to, to get off that deck before you would turn gravity back on. Because what if somebody was, let's say, oh, I don't know, asleep, and they had happened to float yeah. into a position where once the gravity comes back on, they come down and land on their head. Yeah, yeah. it's played for comedy, but it's not played for comedy in a smart way. It's, it's like putting a banana peel yes. down and laughing at the fact that somebody steps on the banana peel while also saying, this is a serious show that we should be taking seriously. And I don't like the juxtaposition of those tones. I also don't like the fact yep. that Tucker, while they are flying at warp, is saying, oh, I think I've almost got this figured out. I've almost got this until something literally bursts into flames in the wall, has to be put out by the captain. And then he reluctantly admits, okay, maybe we should drop out of warp. None of that made any sense. Yeah. None of that made any sense. Yep. So they do drop out of warp and subcommander to Paul discovers that there's there's a distortion in the wake of the Enterprise. And they ignite the plasma that comes out of the back of the ship. And in that ignition, they're able to see the shape of a cloaked ship. 180 degree turn for me in tone. I love this next scene of Archer mm -hmm. hailing the alien vessel and with the help of Sato. And I thought it was a real neat use of the universal translator. The first time that we see the universal translator live in action, breaking down mm -hmm. the alien dialogue where it starts off with the phrase completely an alien and, and then it keeps looping and repeating until each word is individually deciphered until it's a message that they can understand. And yeah. Archer's response to this moment is to very, with a lot of nimble back and forth to reassure this alien vessel, look, we aren't interpreting what you did as hostile. We just want you to stop and we want to talk. And he's able to get them yep. to basically decloak and begin to have a discussion. And like they have this first contact moment, which I think is very, very well rendered. Yeah. I like the way that the, the entire, the entire scene where they, where Archer comes up with the idea of igniting the plasma, everything from that point to what you just described, I loved because it's like, it shows this is why he's the captain because he's rapidly thinking through what could be done. Like what, he immediately comes up with the plan of there might be something there because of that distortion. And he comes up with the whole idea of igniting the plasma. It's like, it's really fun to see captain Archer thinking on his feet, thinking quickly being what looks like he's two steps ahead of it, the rest of his crew. It looks like to Paul is to Paul clearly gets what he's about to do. So it was just kind of fun to see, how the two of them look like they're kind of two steps ahead of the rest of the crew and thinking really quick and his fancy footwork of diplomacy in that first contact was really cool too. It, it is a weird juxtaposition as you pointed out going from weird slapstick stuff in the opening to just like a hard left turn into what I would call cool, yeah. hard sci-fi stuff <laughs> in that second part. It was just a weird juxtaposition and there's yes. more of that that comes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, <laughs> the conversation with the alien vessel turns out they're Zerillion and the captain of the Zerillion vessel explains that they have been basically 
what are the what is it called when you drive close to a semi in order to to uh, yeah you're drafting you're drafting uh, they've been drafting the enterprise yeah. in order to take in their plasma to be able to help them with their own warp engine which is not working properly and archer offers them assistance trip is going to go visit the alien vessel for 3 days to help them work on their engines and he's given injections by dr flock so his body can adapt to the alien environment it's going to take a period of three hours to depressurize properly for him to be able to go in without getting the bends effectively. And this was another hard sci-fi moment in a show that Star Trek, while having hard sci-fi elements, usually just brushes past things in order to get to the next moment. Mm -hmm. One of the, I think one of the achievements of Enterprise is by being a prequel to all the previous generations. I think one of the things that it does well is take certain elements that have been taken for granted and shows them like the universal translator mm -hmm. shows them in development, shows them not working well. The, the fact that the enterprise doesn't have shields, they've got hull plating that can be reinforced, but they don't have shields. The fact that they don't have phasers, that the fact that they don't have photon torpedoes that look like they fly fast enough to actually get where they're supposed to be going. And when they get there, <laughs> they are like an M80 that explodes with no effect. They are effectively a ship that is out, as he says to the alien vessel, when the captain of the Zerelian ship says, we don't want to dissuade you from your mission, he says, our mission is to come out and to meet yeah. people. And that is effectively yeah. all they can do. So <laughs> that mm -hmm. this show mm -hmm. then taking the step of showing Trip in a depressurization chamber, showing him being given cognitive tests. Is he functioning well? Is he, is he processing things properly? I thought that was really, it looked like a game of Simon on the wall yeah. with him counting red flashes, green flashes, yellow flashes, blue flashes until he finally loses patience with the speed of them and says, Hey, like you got to let me out of here. Uh, but once aboard, he meets the Zerillion engineer. Her name is Alen and they become friendly while repairing the ship. He's there for three days. And this is the point in the show where I always try and keep in mind as I'm watching the episodes, like what works, what doesn't work. This mm -hmm. next segment for me, and I, maybe you want to jump in with, with your thoughts on this, Trip begins to effectively trip. He begins to have, <laughs> he's having a, a reaction to the depressurization process and this new environment. He's having difficulty adjusting. What were your thoughts about how they rendered all of this? I thought it was very kind of like realistic the way they showed him from his perspective of getting kind of trippy and not understanding what was going on, but tripping trip and just wanting to get the work done. He pushes, he's pushing through it, trying to man up and push through it. I liked that. Um, and the fact that he started to kind of freak out, basically called his mommy and daddy and said, I want to come home from camp and was basically just like, get me out of here. This is not working. I, I liked it, but I understand why uh, some people, and I'm assuming you probably didn't like it. I'm just going to jump to a conclusion, but I, I liked it because it showed all the training that he went through, all that stuff he went through, he he has a breaking point. And it's fun to see Trip not being this super buttoned up, 
like kind of um what we what we assume is a, a starfleet officer that we know from all of star trek he's really rough around the edges and it was kind of fun to see him just kind of like literally freak out and be like i can't do this this isn't working i tried i gotta get out of here this is not working i like that aspect i i really like that aspect as well i like that from a character perspective the place where i ended mm-hmm. up with some interesting internal debates about whether or not I thought it was working was the way that they affected the video and the audio to convey his fugue state. And Mm -hmm. I was of two exactly opposite takes on it at the exact same time. I both liked it and didn't like it. On one hand, I felt like, is this kind of dated? The kind of woozy cam, super zoom in at certain points, feeling like maybe the image is twisting a little bit the audio being slowed, things being perceptive, you know, changes in, in the way it's being demonstrated as opposed to just showing an external shot of him, maybe a little too sweaty, maybe a little too pale, maybe having to hold himself up on a, on a wall, being a little slow on the uptake. At the same time, I just got my second vaccination shot. And for 24 <laughs> hours after getting that shot, Everything felt a little slow. <laughs> everything felt a little too zoomed in. Yeah. Everything was a little too bright. I found, and this was an interesting experience. I thought my skin was annoying. Uh, everything was a little too prickly. <laughs> everything was a little too warm. Everything was a little too much. And I tried to push through it and couldn't really ended up staggering around and having conversations where mentally I knew I was fine. Mentally, I knew like I'm not legitimately sick. This is my body reacting to the injection. So yeah. I can push through and I can have a conversation. And seeing the looks on the faces of the people that I live with, whom I'm trying to have these conversations with, particularly my son, who at one moment was looking at me like, Dad, what the heck is, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> and saying, I'm a little out of it. So I'm going to stop talking now. So I had, there was something about it that made me think, is this a dated way of doing this? Would they do this now? And then I started to think, well, how would it have looked in the original series? And I thought not only would they have done something similar in the original series, they would have gone even Mm -hmm. further with like, there would have been weird zither music and it would have been like weird cameras on the ceiling and cameras on the floor they would have gone super trippy it would have been psychedelic background it would have been, it would have been yeah. lots of funky yeah. lights and extreme i could just imagine a moment of showing like kirk having this kind of experience it would have been like he would have been super sweaty and really big mascara eye makeup and and i realized okay they were doing they were doing what they needed to in order to convey this. It was effective, it was effective. in that way. So while there yes. was a part of me that was just like, is this silly? There was another part of me that was just like, no, they're, mm-hmm. they've got a point and it's not going to be like this for the entire episode. So um, I just thought it was an interesting sort of, I was both experiencing and enjoying the story as a storytelling, but also the moment of how they got that stood out as a device but it didn't ruin it for me yes so eventually though trip as matt mentioned he does contact the ship 
Archer, please let me come home. Archer, after communicating with the other captain, says, uh, sorry, no, they think you're going to be okay. You just need to rest, do what you have to to help them. And Trip reluctantly does. It's after this that he, in conversation with Alain, who I thought Alain as a character and as an actor, that actress had actually been in episodes of Voyager. And I thought she does a really nice job with this character who she's wearing so much makeup top to bottom. Like there's no part of a human face other than her eyes. And even those are wearing contacts that are visible. I thought that she does a really great job of being able to emote concern toward this for her. Mm -hmm. It's this alien has come aboard trying to help is struggling and she just wants to help. And his experiences on the ship are a little more, I won't say intimate in a romantic way, but it's an experience that isn't often depicted on Star Trek of just the nuts and bolts of eating and drinking being a key point in the character's experience. Two two characters is being yeah. together. It wasn't romance. It was just two characters being close together in a whole bunch of situations and seeing what it was like for those three days yeah. of the two of them being together. That... That I thought was pretty good. Um, I'm going to pick on a weird thing. You said it was a like a dated, potentially how they were portraying that thing. The entire time they're on this ship, I don't know how you felt about it. I felt like I was watching a Doctor Who episode because the set of the alien ship looked like it was made of painted cardboard and leftover pieces that they had from other things. Like It looked like they made that on a stripped down budget and timeline of like we have to throw something in and let's just pump a lot of smoke in here and do some dim lighting because this looks awful and like it 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 looked really cheap at times with the stuff that they were doing on the alien ship which i found very disappointing and it was kind of jarring um especially during the i'll wait till we get to it but the holodeck scene which is coming up yeah that'll be interesting when we talk about that because i didn't quite find that as as jarring. I thought that they, they created limited environments. And one of the, one of the things, Mm -hmm. maybe this is one of the things that you were picking up on is the engineering area on enterprise, of course, is like, you know, it's a large room. There's a very clear engine section, which is thrumming and there's panels and they open up the panels and they bring things out to work on them. The engineering section that they're working on in this alien vessel looks very much like they are underneath a car on a lift and, and it's got the dangling cables and spinning. It's like just like (laughs) coils. And one of the issues that they're talking about is it's techno babble, but it's like these coils have lost their polarity or whatever it is, and they need to reform it. And the way we do that is by injecting stuff into it and allowing it to redo its thing that it needs to do. And meanwhile, it looks like they are at a Home Depot underneath a shelf full of yes stuff. Yeah. Just and junk. it doesn't... It's just yeah. junk, just junk hanging down. It's like, yeah. this is not a spaceship. This is not a believable spaceship. They wouldn't have just random things just dangling down. It's like, that's like a, they're, what are they in a jalopy? <laughs> like, is this thing like duct tape? You know what I mean? It looks so cheap. Like this is not an, an engineering section. It just like having them on those little, um, yeah. Paddleboard they things. Wheel underneath, like, yeah. Crab walk. 
<laughs> it's like, come on, come on. It's like, this is, we're not at Jiffy Lube here. Can we, can we do something a little more interesting with the visuals? I was, I just thought it was very cheap. It was, it was kind of distracting for me. So while they're working on the ship and Trip is feeling better and he's able to function normally and he's really engaging with Alen on a level of, as he's told when he's leaving, to Paul reminds him, like, you're a diplomat here. You need to go over and represent the best of the Federation. Not the Federation, excuse me. I misspoke. You've got to represent the best of Earth in this situation. And yes. Yes. he goes over and it is a very charming friendship that is developing a mutual respect and mutual mm -hmm. interest. And it's nice to see that back and forth. And it's also very clear that there's a certain level of attraction in both directions, but neither person is making a move in that regard at the outset. It does not look like this is going to be Kirk goes to the alien planet and within the first six hours is betting the queen of the planet. That's not what's going to happen here. <laughs> So they are repairing yeah. the vessel. They have some downtime while they're waiting for something to happen. And Alen takes Trip to what is a holodeck. This is the first time that a human is experiencing a holodeck. This is, of course, not the first time that we, the viewers, are seeing a holodeck. For us, a holodeck is, you know, it's old, it's, it's old news. But it's a neat interpretation of what the first experience would be like for a human and he goes into the holodeck with Alain and sees what the Zerillion homeworld looks like and is able to experience walking around on the surface of the planet and even getting into a rowboat on what looks like a lake. Uh, Matt, you said you had some thoughts mm -hmm. about the holodeck and I'm interested to hear what you say. It, it was just, it was just the, it, like I said, everything about it felt cheap. It's like, here's a show that's more modern than the next generation. And yet the depiction of when the holodeck goes into effect looked cheaper than it did on a show that probably came out 15, 20 years earlier. I was just shocked by that. It's like the, the green screen effect of them walking out and having the, the thing change. It looked, it looked like something I would make in my house. It looked, the special effects were not good. It was, it looked super fake. It's, 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 it's part of the cheapness I'm talking about. It's like, I don't know why it felt that way. It's like, they clearly had the technology to pull I, us off. I better. think that's interesting that you say that because in that moment, my response was that is so cool that they are showing an earlier <laughs> version of a holodeck that isn't able to work as well yes. as the holodecks that we, the viewer are, are accustomed to in a show like the next year, excuse me, the next generation where if they wanted to render the level of next generation level effects they could have and they could have done what is usually done on the next generation they could have gone into a location they would just they would just go someplace well, in a desert and film them actually in a desert that's let me be very clear though it's it's more about the initial shot of them walking into the room once they're like on the boat and stuff it's all fine but it's like when they're in the room, it's like they're walking into the room and I'm like, oh, they're not really in that room. They're in a fake room. And then it turns into the mm. holodeck environment where that's what I'm complaining about. Once they're like, she's showing him the home world and they're on the boat. It's like that stuff. It's like, it wasn't a distraction at that point. It was just when they entered the room and then left the room, it was like, why does that look so cheap? Like the rest of it looked fine. It's like, why? It's like they didn't feel like they were in a real space. 
when they were supposed okay. to be in a real space. Okay. That's kind of what I'm getting. It's like the room that they were supposed to be in wasn't an actual room they were in. They were probably standing in a green screen room, which was supposed to be the real room. Okay. The real now room. I get what you're like real, it was just I didn't it was so distracting. I didn't I didn't oh, it was I didn't notice that. Again, I just had my second shot. So <laughs> who's to say? <laughs> my skin, my skin is feels funny. <laughs> so while they're in the holodeck, Alen introduces what she describes as a game, and it involves a what looks like a bowl full of crystals, and they both put their hands into it, and they are able to read some of each other's thoughts. And it seems like it's it could get incredibly intimate, but it only gets as intimate as a little bit of the flirtation where she picks up on his liking to be complimented. He picks up on her interest in him and her curiosities around him. And they have a nice moment around this, but it doesn't turn into anything else. The repairs seem mm-hmm. to be completed. Tucker returns and his reintroduction aboard the enterprise is as one would expect largely talking with the other members of the crew about what an amazing experience this was. He had a good experience and he's able to, and this is also the first time that they have a first contact experience or an away from the ship experience where his involvement not only happens, but makes sense. He went to the away mm-hmm. mission aboard on the planet where they got in trouble and they were hiding in the cave. His presence on that planet made no sense because there was nothing there for an engineer to do. And in a previous episode, he had begged to go on an away mission and the captain had said, you're our engineer, we need you here. So this one, him going aboard and helping repair this alien vessel makes complete sense and for his character what? makes complete which, sense. Which would have actually been better if they hadn't had him go in those previous two. They could have had him be chomping at the bit in both those episodes, but not go. And then this one, they're like, finally, trip. here's your, here's your away mission. And he could just be right. so gung-ho about it. It's like, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't do that. So he returns to the ship and he begins to notice a strange growth on his wrist. And... <laughs> Dr. Flox continues to make the great argument for him being one of the better characters on the show. He's written in a really charming way. And uh, I don't know, there's something Dr. Zoidberg about him that I really like. It's this kind of like, yeah, well, you're human. What are you going to do? It's this weird sort of response to everything around him, just like a little bit of a shrug and, hey, what do you think? And he points out that the growth on Tucker's wrist happens to be a nipple. (laughs) <laughs> yes can i just comment right here you had used the word silly for that initial scene this entire episode i would say is just silly the entire episode is meant to be silly it's comic relief and what i found funny about this the way they did it was the first half which which we just talked about had little silly moments and it was a little lighthearted, but it wasn't mm-hmm. haha funny and then the nipple happens, and from this point forward, it turns into Comic Town <laughs> from this point forward, pretty much, which I thought was a weird, not a weird, but I thought it was a unique shift in tone of the show of just like, we're being a little lighthearted, and now it's just straight on, let's be goofy. It does get a little goofy. I think that it gets goofy, though, in a way that the initial third of the episode, the first act is not goofy, but is lighthearted. 
yet hard sci-fi underneath it. And then yeah. I do think that the follow-up, an examination of what would male pregnancy have to entail is, as the synopsis writer that you read earlier pointed out, that is a hard sci-fi element. I agree with you that it goes into kind of a goofy interpretation of all of that, but it's not a, for me, it was not a super drastic shift in tone. It didn't go from a nine to a three it went from maybe a five to a three okay for me it was a little more drastic and when i say goofy i don't mean that in a derogatory meant, yeah. way I, I mean it more of a i did enjoy the i'm going to comment on this but there were some comedic moments that yeah. are just yeah coming up that are so good so flock says oh by the way that's a nipple turns out you're pregnant and <laughs> i really enjoyed the this goes back to something you'd mentioned about trip being a little rough around the edges. It's a little bit like you know, he's, he's a Starfleet guy, but he's, he's got a little bit of a, of a swagger to him that makes it. It's a little bit of, he's the stand in for the old West and that they're, they're rushing off yes. into what next generation will eventually describe the original series as with cowboy diplomacy this is the origins of cowboy diplomacy. The enterprise is literally like going off into unknown territory and making it up as they go. And trip is very much the cutout of that. He is that character mm -hmm. of, I got a little bit of swagger. I got a little bit of arrogance. I, I really know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to kind of sometimes go into the saloon a little too quickly. And yeah, there are some really great moments where he is with Flocks and Archer and to Paul basically making the argument. I never touched that woman. This whole scene is very yes. Neil Simon. The dialogue is very quick. Everybody is saying just the right thing at the right moment. And it's like to Paul has the most biting comments. She is just rattling off at him and his responses and the captain just trying to contain mm -hmm. his laughter the entire conversation it was just this very quick repartee between all four of these characters as he's trying to defend himself saying i never touched her i never touched her it was a very very good moment i just like the the comedic moments in this in the, yeah in that so scene. it's it i agree with everything you just said it is very neil simon and i love that it reaches a point where tucker makes the argument I understand how you perceive me, but I take my role on this ship and my goal of becoming an officer in Starfleet extremely seriously. And I wouldn't just throw it away mm -hmm. and then makes a statement, which basically mocks Kirk. I felt like this, he makes a statement mm -hmm. of, I'm not going to go and try and bed some woman I just met on an alien ship just to get my rocks off. And it's, yeah. it's an undercutting of the entire Kirk persona, which I thought was a very funny yes. take. Um, I agree with everything you're saying to Paul keeps trying to like pin this on him of like the, everything that we have, all the evidence we have says you had some form of intercourse with this woman. You cannot debate that the facts mm -hmm. are the facts. You are pregnant. This thing happened. Flox is clarifying that for this species, the male doesn't actually provide any genetic material. The male is the host. So this is the equivalent of 
non-sexual reproduction, but then like the seahorse, the male carries it in a Mm -hmm. pouch. So Phlox is clearly understanding of how this happened. He's hesitant to do anything to change the situation out of fear of potentially harming either the fetus or trip. And to add complication to it, the development of this into a ready to be born life form is only, I think they state five weeks. So this is not a, we've got time to think about this. This thing is growing quickly to the point where it is beginning to show as a figure and a bruise on his side. In response to this, Archer decides they need to find the Zarellian ship. And so he has the, the search started to be able to track this cloaked vessel. And while they are looking, Trip begins to experience hormone changes that change his, mm-hmm. again, it's a perception game that's being played. He th- is becoming paranoid. This part of the storytelling, I thought, could have been a little more sensitive. It seemed to be a little bit mocking of a pregnant woman's experience across the board. Um, yes. Yeah. I would have appreciated a little bit more of flocks giving him a heads up of you may notice hormonal changes. You may notice these things that happen. It didn't mean that those things had to happen. They do happen in the story and they happen for comedic effect. Again, didn't mm-hmm. hit quite the right note for me. I felt like that that was a, a little weak. But eventually they do find the Zarellian ship. And when they track it down, there is a dramatic moment of they show the ship that they see on, on their sensors. And it turns out it's a Klingon warship. So the Zarellians are back to their old game of drafting in the wake of, of another ship. Their repairs obviously didn't work. And Archer then hails the Klingon ship and talks with a Captain Varrock who helps, he then helps detect the Zerillion ship. Varrock is very angry, wants to destroy the ship. And then Archer and T'Pol have to talk Varrock down from destroying the ship. And they do this by T'Pol reminding Varrock that Archer is the one who in the series opener found Clang saved Kronos from a civil war and the chancellor owes Archer a debt. She goes a bit into overselling Mm -hmm. that referring to the chancellor calling Archer a brother, which turns into a comedic moment at the end of the episode. This entire scene felt like you mentioned earlier, the episode takes a turn in tone. This felt like another major Mm -hmm. turn in tone into, okay, we have to have some stakes here. So how about, These are the stakes. Klingons are involved. Klingons are a threat. Klingons are dangerous. I did not like the way Archer approached the Klingons. I did not like the fact that he outed the Zerillion ship. I thought that it would have been better storytelling to, let's say they find the Klingon ship, they know the Zerillion's there. If Archer had approached it with a, give me a broad broadcast and then yeah, he could so have talked his code. language to the Zerillians so that it would sound like he was talking to the Klingons, but actually talking to the Zerillians and saying something along the lines of, to them of, 
if you've been having engine trouble, we are more than willing to help you again. But in order to do that, we're just going to hang out here. And if you need our help, you can come over to us. And the Klingons, of course, would say, what are you talking about? We don't need your help. And then the Zerillians could drop behind the Enterprise and the Klingons could leave and the, they would then be able to reconnect. Play a little more of a chess game as opposed to what Archer does here, which is very stupidly hails the Klingons and outs the Zerillians, which almost leads to their destruction and brings the Enterprise under attack. It seemed like a very strange stance to take and done entirely for putting stakes into the story instead of showing Archer having a sophisticated take and the skills to be able to secretly convey to the Zerillians, you got to get away from those guys. They're dangerous. Just hang out here with us and let them leave. And then still trying to place elements of this a little bit for laughs. Cause like this episode is kind of a comedy. And so when this is happening, there's elements of the way the Klingons are talking to them and the way they're talking to the Klingons throughout the show that is clearly being played for laughs because they're trying not to lose that lighthearted tone, even though they almost had the enterprise destroyed by what they did. It was for me, there was a a dissonance there as well. So they do end up getting out of the dangerous situation with the Klingons. Tucker is able to reconnect with Alen and show that he's got this embryo. She apologizes and she's says she wasn't even aware that that was a possibility and that they will be able to take the the offspring out of Trip. Uh, this is also, it's been conveyed to Trip a number of different times in the episode. This is the first time a human has ever had interspecies reproduction with a non-human. So mm-hmm. he's getting a weird pat on the back for now being in history books in that fashion. But there is... Also, in order to get out of the dilemma with the Klingons, another element that I did not agree with at all, Archer basically promises the Zerellian holodeck technology to the Klingons. And it's such a weird weird... moment of like, listen, if you don't beat me up, I'm going to give you my neighbor's lawnmower. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. It, It just... And it's done, again, for a moment of them standing in the holodeck and looking at Kronos from a digital recording that the Klingons provide, just so that the Klingons, I felt like it was all done so that a Klingon could give the line, I can see my house from here, which, as you point out, it seems to be going for comedy in moments like that. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe they thought they needed to balance things out because the previous episode had such a strong thriller aspect with the cave scenes and the paranoia and the danger. And the episode before that had horror aspects around the aliens that were siphoning Mm -hmm. off fluids from dead, uh, uh, an alien vessel crew. Maybe they felt like, oh, we need a lighter touch in this episode. We need to do something to, to lighten the mood, but it went a little too far in that, in that vein. And, and, Moments like the Klingon saying, I can see my house from here. It's just, you know, it just yeah. kind of struck a really strange note. Um, but the episode ends with, you know, the the dinner scenes that they've used to great effect. Um, to Paul informing Tucker that he's the first recorded instance of a male pregnancy. And 
Archer's response to much of this is to laugh into his napkin. It's throughout most of the episode. One of the things that stood out for me that I thought was an interesting element was that there was one of the staff members on the show, Andre Bormanis, said that they included a Klingon battlecruiser design that was of later generations using the same design. And that was intentional because they wanted to show how slowly evolving the Klingon technology was. And it's, he was compared Mm -hmm. to rockets from the Russian space agency. Once you've got what works, why change it? And so the Klingons, the implication here is in the original series, Klingons are still flying ships that this is what the enterprise has just come across. Ships like this are still being used in the original series, largely because, Hey, it gets us where we're trying to go and it lets us blow stuff up. Why would we change anything? I thought that was interesting. Which also ties into the holodeck stuff because next generation introduced the holodeck and the holodeck introduced here kind of is laying the groundwork for maybe this is where we got the seed of that technology for, and it took us, you know, decades for us to work it out on our own and integrate it into our own stuff. And Klingons don't have that stuff in the show, but yet we, they they were given this technology at the same time as the enterprise. So you could also look at it that way too, of like, they're slow to evolve and they've been given this amazing holodeck technology and they still don't really do anything with it. Also, it raises the question of applications. Would this be an origin of some of the cloaking technology that Klingons use? And would that be how they would manipulate it as opposed to what humans did, which was continue to utilize it for interior, uh, you know, safe recreation space for not only recreation, but humanity appears to use it for research you know, to, to recreate environments where you could do things that might potentially be difficult to do, but to recreate it in realistic fashion. So a little bit of a deeper dive into one of the aspects of the program, which it raises the issue of male pregnancy. So I was curious about male pregnancy and it of course does happen. Uh, there are species of fish and I already mentioned horsefish being one of them, or seahorse, sorry, being one of them, where the male carries the young. There has also been ongoing research, which is very slow for ethical reasons, which is understandable, into uterus transplantation and artificial uterus, which all the the issues around you know, abortion being such a hot topic, any research in this vein hits ethical dilemmas on both sides of the issue. The, the concerns around what you'd be doing, what you'd be looking into, obviously is a, a minefield to have to, to get through for a bioethicist and doctors looking into this. But I did find this interesting Since the year 2000, several hoax websites have appeared on the internet purporting to describe the world's first pregnant man. I actually do remember seeing (laughs) news like this bubble up back then. 
uh, describing the first pregnant man. He would be giving delivery cesarean section. It was being, uh, it was through an egg that was implanted in his abdomen in an artificial placenta. And obviously this never happened, but while some of these articles, these hoax websites relied on legitimate scientific claims, no such experiment has ever been reported. Fertility clinician Cecil Jacobson claimed to have transplanted a fertilized egg from a female baboon to the omentum in the abdominal cavity of a male baboon in the mid 1960s, which then carried the fetus for four months. However, Jacobson did not publish his claims in a scientific journal. It was subsequently convicted on several unrelated counts of fraud for ethical misconduct. <laughs> so shocker <laughs> when it comes to men choosing yeah. voluntarily to carry a fetus, I don't think we're going to be seeing it anytime soon. So next time we're going to be talking about episode six of enterprise and the title of this episode is going to be Terra Nova. Matt, do you have any guesses as to what we'll be talking about around that episode? What do you think Terra Nova is about? Uh, it's probably about a mm. Nova. Maybe a little bit of a Terra. Mm. That's made of, made, of, made of some Terra. Yeah. Maybe some Earth. <laughs> uh, side note, I just watched an episode of Space 1999, which is a fantastic 1970s sci-fi program which is a mix of star trek by way of 2001 space odyssey one of my favorite parts about it is that the commander whose name is john koenig is largely responsible for terrible decision making that puts most of the crew in danger in every single episode but there was an episode i just watched which was also called terra nova and i thought <laughs> what a great opportunity for a crossover before we sign off, uh, Matt, is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners or viewers about that you have going on and do you want to let them know how to find you online? Yeah, just uh, go to YouTube and search for Undecided with Matt Farrell. I put out videos every week talking about sustainable technologies, everything from EVs, battery technology, solar panels. I kind of dive deep into a lot of those different technologies. So check it out. In the same vein, Matt and I have another podcast, which is called The Still to be Determined Podcast in which we pick up on the topics from his videos and we talk about them and respond to some viewer comments about his episodes. And as for me, you can check out my website. It's seanfarrell.com. You can also look for my books on Amazon or on any non-mega bookstore shelf. They're available wherever. And if you ask for them, bookstores will be able to get them. So please check them out. I have some adult novels, including... Man in the Empty Suit, which is a sci-fi tale. And I also have a couple picture books for your younger readers. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you have any comments or corrections, and believe me, when it comes to corrections around shows like Star Trek, uh, Matt and I are more than willing to engage in that conversation. Sometimes we're going to get it wrong. And sometimes <laughs> you, the viewer, are going to be like, don't yeah. you remember that this element that you said was stupid is something that is critical for the next generation to even exist? We're willing to have that conversation. Please let us know. You can find the contact information in the podcast notes or right here on YouTube. You can just drop down to the comments below. Please do subscribe. Please like the episode and please share it widely with your friends and strangers. And we invite you to come back next time 
We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening.